You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, today we continue our series on Satan's favorite lies, liar, liar, and we have been unpacking some of the strategies that the enemy uses to lead us astray. Now, as soon as I told Sean that we were going to be doing this series, he's like, oh, I want one. Oh, I want one. So uh, he is going to be today sharing a very important lie. At this time, however, I'm going to have Nicole begin the baptism handout. It's already started. When you get this clipboard, it's basically sign up for things to bring as we celebrate what God's doing in people's lives and uh, celebrate the truth next week at baptism. But today, I'm going to hand it over to a very competent teacher of God's Word who's currently, uh, you're getting your master's at Liberty University right now. Yes, I am. So uh, he's a a student of the Word. Of the Word. Literally. Uh, so Literally. let's give it up for Sean Denny this morning. All right. feels weird. I was almost stepped behind the mic and be like, okay, cause I'm used to giving announcements from here, but I'm gonna have to be different today. So, um, guys, I'm excited about talking to you. I was real excited about this series because I believe one of our, our biggest uh, issues as Christians is the lies that we buy into. And, and the thing is, is it doesn't matter if you're like, you're the best Christian that's ever existed or like, you feel like you're the worst Christian that's ever existed. We're all equal in this. In that Satan is against us, right? You guys with me in that? Here's the thing. We know we're in a battle when the very book we read tells us put armor on. I was telling the, the youth in, uh, on Wednesday night because we were talking about some of the same things that it's not like it's just like, hey, this is really comfortable armor. Go ahead and wear it all the time just because you're stylish, right? The Bible says, hey, put on helmets and, and get a shield and, and have a sword and, and, and be ready because it's battle time and, and know that Satan is against you. I mean, we're told in, in the Bible that, that Satan is about seeking, killing, and destroying, right? That doesn't sound pleasant in any way, shape, or form. And, and we're also told that he's like a roaring lion, right? Wandering around, seeking what he can devour. And the thing is, is we expect this full-on attack. We expect it to be obvious. We expect it to be easy to see. And, and what gets us is it's not. Satan is, we know Satan is, was an angel and that God created him beautiful and, and smart and that he rebelled. But that doesn't mean that he lost the ability to deceive and lost the ability to, to come at us in directions we're not expected. So I kind of wanted to give this, I was thinking about it. And uh, it's just funny because the things you think about. So I... I used to, you guys might not know this, but I grew up on a ranch with horses and cows and the whole bit and like, you know, ropes and everything. So, yes, exactly. Moo. All right. And so I love everything that has to do with anything horse related. I, I, my parents had to sell their horses, made me sad because I don't have anywhere to go ride, that kind of stuff. But I was thinking I've got somewhere up in my attic a set of blinders and it would be hilarious if I put those on for this, uh, uh, demonstration, this idea, so you guys get an idea of what we're talking about. And I went up and, and finally found them. And then I realized my head, though ginormous, is not the same size as a horse's head. And it wasn't going to work at all. So bear with me as I made my total, like, ghetto blinders here, okay? So uh, I made them with a, a headband signed by one of my favorite speakers. So, okay. All right. So here's the deal. Here's what I think Satan does, all right? Okay. I can't see any of you right now. All right. So here's what happens. Satan comes along and says, look, if I can get them focused in one direction and that direction is not God, right, then I've done what I want to do. And so what he does is he gets us focused in on certain 
things, things that he knows are weaknesses for us, things that he knows that we will pay attention to. Just like with a horse, when you put blinders on it, they can only see the road they're on. They can't see other roads. They can't see other things. And there's a reason for that. But, but this is the idea that Satan wants. He wants you focused on one thing, and it's not God. Because he knows if he can take your focus off God, if he can put you in blinders, and he can, with lies, get you to only focus on one thing, that he's done what he needs to do. And it's ruining your relationship with God. And our relationship with God is what feeds us, what grows us, what makes us be who we are. You've got to understand this, this uh, purpose. Oh, that totally sounds, not only do blinders, I just found something out new. Not only do blinders make you only see one thing, they totally change how you hear everything. So who knew? All right. Um, I now know. So. As, as we go through this, I, you guys know I also coach football or have coached football and wrestling for most of my life. And so one of my favorite things to do as a coach, and still is, I still do this, is I love to scout. I love to think about what the other team is doing. Why are they doing it? Where are they going to be focusing? What are our weaknesses that we need to address? So today, I know Ted's been doing this for a couple weeks. Today, that's kind of what I'm going to do. As a coach, I'm going to tell you, hey, after watching game film here, after reading the book and after uh, uh, learning about how Satan operates, there's some things we need to be aware of. We have some weaknesses. We have some blinders on that can help us focus in the wrong place. Everybody with me? Yeah? Okay. All right, here we go. So uh, I'm going to start with this verse. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so what we're going to talk about today is Satan's lie, and this is it. The lie that Satan is going to tell you is that you are the most important thing. All right, that you have to take care of you. And one that follows very closely that's hard to talk about is that your family is the most important thing. And you're like, whoa, 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 Sean, you're not allowed to talk about my family. Do not talk about my mama. All right? And I'm like, I get it. I get it. It's so sensitive when we talk about family. But do you understand that Satan sometimes will use good things and get us focused on those good things to get us to not focus on God? There's nothing wrong with, with, with having family and being concerned about family. So, but, but we've got to watch where we go with that because it's such a good thing and it's such a God-ordained thing that we can be that even that we can make into something that Satan will lie about and will get us focused on so those are the two things we're going to talk about those two lies today that uh that you are the most important thing that you have to take care of you and that our family is the most important thing okay so stay with me as we go through these let me unpack it because I know some of you are sitting here being like my family is the most important thing and you're like bring it and I'm like okay You'll be okay. I promise. All right. So um, as we go through this, I want to start um, talking about this section, uh, this verse. I want to unpack it. I want to talk about it because I think this sets the first part up for us. And, and the verse is this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So, so Jesus is talking here and he starts off by saying, hey, where is your focus? I mean, seriously, right now, this is not like a, like a question that you have to answer out loud, but in your head, ask yourself where your focus is. Is, is what you're going to eat tomorrow what you're thinking about? Because that's, that's a tough thing. If you're wondering what you're going to eat tomorrow, that's a tough thing to think about. And Jesus is saying, don't sweat it. If, if you're wondering like, 
if, you're, if, if you or people that you care for are going to have clothes, are going to be able to wear things uh, that, that keep them warm and keep them covered, isn't that something that seems worthy of worry? Um, sometimes I think it is. Okay, but God's saying, look, life is more than food and clothing. And, and, and then he, I love how Jesus works because he always says, okay, here's my statement. And I love when he does this. He does it a lot. He says, now I'm going to explain it. Here's, here's my opening statement. Now let me kind of explain why you can do that. So Jesus doesn't say, hey, th- here's this unrealistic expectation. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothes. I'm out. Right? Jesus never does that. What he does is says, here's how I want you to think. And then he follows it up immediately with, here's why it'll work. Okay, so, so stay with us as we go through this. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? All right, these birds he's talking about were birds they sold in the market for like a penny, okay, to put it in perspective. He said, okay, you could buy these birds. They, they weren't expensive. They, they, they died in seasons. And he's saying they're hardly valuable in human economy, but God takes care of them. They don't have to worry about what they're going to eat or what's going to happen. God's got them covered. And he goes on and he says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? It's already, God already knows what you're going to need to get from the beginning to the end. Now, here's the thing. That truth is so powerful if we think about it. Do you realize that God has already figured out what you need from the moment you're born kicking and screaming until you go out? Either kicking and screaming or quietly or however you decide to go out. I plan to jump out of an airplane when I'm like 89. You see how that goes. All right. Um, Hopefully, you know, God will take me midair. All right. So... Guys, it doesn't matter how you go. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how much you strive or how anxious you are. God says, look, I already know what you need. I already know what's going to make you happy. I built you. I built everything about you. I give you your gifts and your talents and your, your, your abilities and the things you love and the things you hate. I built those into you. I know everything about you. And I've planned every second to be amazing. I planned every second to be in relationship with me and for me to be able as a father to give you good gifts and to give you things not only that you need, but things that you enjoy, to give you purpose, to give you meaning in life. All these things we chase, he says, what one of you that are going to be anxious about things are going to add one more thing than I've already planned for you? How in being anxious can you, and in your worry, can you add one more thing better than what I've already planned for you as your maker and creator? It's, it's, a, it's a really, for me, eye-opening statement. When I read this, I started understanding I need to start being content in what God has planned for me and less in what I have planned for me. And, and, and it can really change how you see things. Let's keep going. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, of the field how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so chooses to clothe the grass, excuse me, clothe the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Same thing. Guys, this is getting to the things we want and the things that we like and and, and our our status, our stuff. And God's saying, look, I, I clothe flowers and 
I, I, you know, we used to coach when I coached uh, in Arizona. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Arizona, but Arizona has bar none, the most beautiful sunsets in the world. It's, it's crazy. Sometimes you walk out and this, and, and like the sky just threw up colors, right? They're everywhere. They're like purples and oranges and they're all mixed. And, and so I had a coach and he would say, Hey, let's stop for a second, boys. Sometimes he would say, men make us feel better about ourselves. Okay. Like, let's stop boys. I mean, men. And we're like, yes, we're men. Let's stop men. All right. And we'd look up and he'd say, Hey, God gave you that for free today. That was free. No charge. And we would look up and we'd just take a minute. And he goes, I want you to think about what God's doing in your life today. Because if he cares enough to give you that sunset just to look at, how much does he care about your problems? And how much does he care about what's going on in your life? I don't want you to forget for a second that God has not forgotten you. That sunset proves it. Uh, it was great growing up with men in my life like that. They would point things out and talk to me about that kind of stuff. Um, he goes on to say, oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or... What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. That is the biggest comfort to me. That last little verse right there, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows not only do you need them to survive, he knows that you need need some comfort sometimes, and he knows you need things that make you happy, and he knows that you need things that give you satisfaction in life, and he knows you need goals, and you need to be able to do these things. He's got all of this planned. He's got all of this thought out already. And his gifts and his thoughts and his plans are so much better and richer than what we can plan. Like I can make some pretty cool stuff with my hands. You guys saw those blinders. They're legit. All right. Okay. I can make some pretty cool stuff with my hands, but why would I want to strive for what I can build with my hands and with my mind and with my imagination when I have a God who created the universe, who is on my side designing my life and his plans for me? Guys, do you understand why Satan wants you to take care of you? Do you understand this lie? If Satan gets you taking care of you, you stop letting God take care of you. And he knows that if you take care of you, you're going to put yourself in a bad spot. You're going to do something that doesn't work. You're going to, you're going to get in a place where you're not going to like it. But even worse than that, you're going to be distant from God. Because the best thing we have going is a relationship with a loving creator. And when we focus on us and we make us God, then we walk away from that relationship. We back away from it. And all we can see with those blinders on is the things we want and the things that make us happy and the things that satisfied me. And we stop seeing God. Guys, that is, the, that is just a horrible, damaging, destroying lie. I can understand why Satan's trying to seek and destroy and kill me with that lie. The very thing that gave me life, the very thing that I find purpose in, Satan distracts with my very own self from. That's, that's tough, guys. Let's, let's keep going with this. Uh, there's a solution to this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Take the blinders off. Look around and see that the kingdom of God is the thing that matters. He says, if you do that, all these other things you're worried about will be added unto you. He goes, God knows exactly what proportion and how much and exactly what will make you happy and exactly what will make you content and exactly what will make you profitable and with purpose. And he says, if you'll just seek me first and my kingdom, then all these other things you're worried about, they'll be taken care of. How much, how are you going to pay tomorrow's bill? Guys, I've been there. Sometimes I'm still there 
I'm like, man, how are we going to pay that bill? My wife's like, I have no idea. And, and we just pray. And sometimes we still don't know, but we get comfort, we get peace, and we seek God, and we know somehow God has a, pl- a plan for us, right? Sometimes I wonder with my kids, how are we going to get this worked out? How are we going to... Do we have them in the right schools? Do we have them in the right stuff? And, and I'm worried that I'm doing the wrong thing. And, and God's saying, hey, just get on your knees and pray. Lean on me and I'll guide you. I'll set your path straight. It's just something to think about. So both of these issues we're going to talk about today revolve around whether we trust God or not. Okay, that's what it comes down to. Do I trust God to take care of me? And in a minute we're going to talk about do I, talk, do I trust God to take care of my family? I think both of those are difficult issues, okay? You might struggle with one more than the other, but they're both difficult issues, especially if you're a parent. How many of you guys, the definition of family totally changed for you when you had your first child? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, here's me, right, with my little cone-headed Emma, all right? She had the greatest cone-head. I was, like, so sad when it went away. All right, so it's like, look, my baby has a cone-head. Awesome. No one has a cone-headed baby. And then it went away. Um, I cried. All right, so Emma's happy, but I was sad. All right, so here I'm holding this little baby in my hand for the first time. And I grew up in a family that, man, they take care of each other. They, they love each other. They, I, I, I thought I understood family, right? And I, I'm holding this baby, and I'm like, oh, God, have you, do you know what you've done here? You've entrusted me. You know me, right? Some of you guys really know me, and you're laughing inside because you're like, yeah, I don't know why God gave you children, all right? And, and, and I'm like, you gave me this tiny creature, and you expect me to, like, A, not drop it, all right, and B, help raise her into a woman that loves and pursues you? I'm totally inadequate. I'm, I, I, there's no way. Um, can we, is there a way to, like, I want to keep it, but at the same time, I'm scared to death, right? So family is going to be a big issue, and it comes down to how do we trust God? Okay, so let's talk. Uh, about a couple of these, okay? Um, Let's start with the family, because I think that's the tougher of the two issues, okay? It's not whether we should care for our family or not. Of course, you're required to care for your family. But even Jesus had incredibly tough words about this, okay? Somebody came up to Jesus, you guys might remember this story, and said, Jesus, what's it going to take for me to follow you? And he says, you have to hate your mom and your dad. You have to hate your brother and sister. And I'm like, what? I love my dad. I can't, I can't, I, what? And you want me to hate my mom and dad to follow you? And, and for a long time, I would just ignore that verse. I'm like, I'm just going to pretend that verse isn't in the Bible because I don't understand it. I don't like it. Family is the most important thing in my life. I, I don't like this verse. And God says, no, you're, you're missing it. Um, I, I got to finally hear somebody preach on this passage. And I was like, okay, I finally get it. Because what he's saying is, here's the deal. Here's me, God, the thing that should have all your affection, the, per, the, the, the entity in this universe that cares for you more than anything, and your affection starts here. Because you don't even know how to love your family until you get in a relationship with me. You don't even know how to care until you've been cared for by me. And when you know how to be cared for and you know what it means to be loved, now you can take care of your family. Now you can love your family. Now you can direct your family. So God's saying, no, don't hate them. But in, in, in relation to how much you love me and how much you love them, if you compare it, it would be almost like you hate them. You should love me that much. 
And I think, man, I don't, I don't know. I love my family a lot, loving you that much that in comparison, it seems like I hate them. I'm not there yet. And God says, yeah, but as you get to know me and you get to understand how much I love you, that love will start growing. And when you love me, it overflows into everything you do. And if you really, really, really want to take care of your family, if you really, this little girl that you've got in your hands, if you really want to do the best for her, if you really want to make sure that she loves me and understands me, then you have to love me first. You have to model that and you have to show that. Now, now the, the biblical character that comes to mind here as I'm thinking about this is Abraham, right? How many of you guys remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? Okay, we're going to go through that in a second. Do you remember the story of Abraham and Ishmael? Okay, because here is a great picture of what it means to love family more than God and then a flip side of that to love God first before family, right? So let's go to Ishmael and let's look at that. So Abraham is promised a son. God comes to him and says, hey, even though you're really super, like, anciently Ted-like old, all right, uh, even though you're really, really old, like older than, like, most people can comprehend having children at, right, you're going to have a son. I'm going to provide you with a son and an heir, and we're going to take care of this. And, and Abraham gets impatient. So what does he do? He goes into his wife's servant, and he sleeps with her, and they get, this is not saying on, bear with me for a second. How do you do this? Okay, there we go. Okay, so he says, I, I'm going to take it in matters in my own hand. I am so worried about having an heir, and I'm going to be so worried about whether or not this promise comes true that, God, I can't trust you. How many of you guys have ever been impatient with God? Okay, how many of you have ever heard God clearly speak to you and say, I got something for you? Maybe it's, for some of you young people, maybe you're worried if God really has somebody for you to be married to. I don't know. It was my big worry when I was your age. For some of you, some of you older folk, maybe you're worried about things like retirement and what you're going to do with your older age. I'm starting to kind of glimpse that, okay? Not quite there yet, but I'm starting to glimpse it, okay? So whatever it is, Abraham said, I am so worried about how my family works out and that I have these things that I'm going to take matters into my own hand. And, and he sleeps with his, his wife's servant, they have a baby, they name him Ishmael, and it is a disaster, right? Eventually, the, the, the family breaks up and they're split up, and, and, and it's because Abraham put family before God. He did it out of order. I am guilty of this. I think anybody that has a family, this is something we struggle with, that I want to make sure my family are taken care of. You come after one of my kids or my wife, and, and like Ted says, we're probably not going to be very good friends, right? If I don't feel like God is taking care of, of, of my family well enough or in the way I think he should, sometimes I step in and I say, okay, God, I got this. Don't worry about it. You know, I know you're busy with the universe and all, right? Um, there's other people that need your help, so I'll take care of this. And I don't say it that directly. Satan has worked me into a place usually where all I can see is what's going on with my family. All I can see is how they're struggling or, or what's going on in their lives. And, and I can't focus on God right now. And my walk starts to falter. And then it, doesn't, it never fails. When I start to really look at my family and focus on them, I can't understand why it's still going wrong or it's not being fixed or I can't get it right. And then at some point God says, hey, will you take those off and look at me for a second? 
and realize that my relationship with you is the thing that drives this. And at that point, things that I'm praying about and things that I'm worrying about, I put in his hands instead of mine, and they start to resolve, revolve themselves. And all kinds of trouble with this today, guys. I'm sorry. I have weird-shaped ears, I guess. All right. So I, I did. There we go. Got it? Okay. What they don't teach you in seminary school is how to wear a microphone. They need a whole class on that. All right. Put it on this ear, turn it this way, change the size of your ears. All right. Okay. So now let's go to Abraham and Isaac. So God says, here is the thing I promise you. Abraham starts to focus back on God, gets his focus where it belongs, starts to have faith and trust God. And along comes Isaac, the boy that was promised. And God says, I want you to sacrifice him to me. I want you to, to sacrifice, read Kill your son so that you can show your allegiance to me. How many of you guys have a faith in God that you could even contemplate that thought? I don't think I do. Okay, we're going to talk about how God sees Abraham in a second. But I would be like, there must be another way. There must be something else. But Abraham packs up Isaac and they go to the appointed place. And when God sees that Abraham has God first, he provides a different way for the sacrifice to be made and and Isaac gets to live. And we read that story and we're like, see, God all along had this plan. He probably did. But I think he wanted to see where Abraham's allegiances lied. Had Abraham changed? Was Abraham still putting family ahead of God or was Abraham willing to trust God? And when you read in... Hebrews, when they're talking about faith, it says this. By faith, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, the promise that God had gave him. You realize no Isaac, no Hebrew nation, no David, no Jesus. And I don't think Abraham saw that whole promise, but he did understand that all the promise that God had gave him was wrapped up in Isaac. And he said, I trust you. And it goes on to say this, though Isaac shall, uh, of whom it was said, though Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. See, Abraham said, I know you have future for Isaac and I know you have plans for Isaac because you've promised me and you're a God that keeps your promises. So I don't know what you're doing here. I don't understand it, but I will not even hold back my family from you. And out of Abraham comes everything we depend on. Out of Abraham comes the story of David. Out of Abraham comes the story of Christ. Because Abraham was willing to put things in the right perspective. And trust God that if God was going to take, Ab- that if God was going to take Isaac, that somehow he was going to get Isaac back. He didn't understand it. He didn't get it. But he said, hey, I've come to a point where I understand not trusting God does not work. Even when it comes to my family. Guys, I think sometimes we have to just throw up our hands, get on our knees and say, God, I don't understand what you're doing with my family. I don't understand why I can't direct this the way I think it should go, but I trust you. And so even with my family, I'm not going to let Satan use that for a lie. I'm going to trust and love you and trust that in that it's going to overflow into my family. It's going to overflow into what I'm doing as, 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 a, as a participant in this. 
And out of that love, my family, you've got this. Guys, do you pray for your family? More importantly, do you live in such a way that what God is doing in you is a model for them? I don't know that I always do that. I try. I don't know that I always succeed, but I'm learning that the more I trust God and the more I focus on knowing him and reading and praying and doing these things that are, that are sometimes hard in a busy life, that my family is the first beneficiary. When I am a good follower of Christ, I am a good husband. Well, I guess a better husband. <laughs> All right. um, I'm not always a good husband. I wish I was but I am a better husband and I'm a humble husband. My wife will tell you she'll take humble from me nine times out of 10. When I'm focused on God, I have more time for my kids. I have more focus for them. I can hear their issues. Guys, it's not that God doesn't value your family. He does. It's whether you're going to put him first in that. Very, very hard to do. Very, very easy for Satan to lie to you about this. Very easy for him to put those blinders on. Because it's a good thing. It's easy to get caught up in a good thing. Now, let's talk a little bit more. Now, as my, the coach in me says, oh, man, this next, this next one is so easy to see. Okay? So when, when, when I'm watching film, sometimes I can see a glaring weakness. And I'm like, if we attack that, we win. Okay, we can score a touchdown every time we run this play because they don't guard this well. This is one of those instances where I think sometimes if we look at this right, we can get to a point where we are on the winning side of things. We are how God wants it to be. Okay, so how many of you guys know who Samson is? Hopefully most of you remember Samson. Samson's a big, big strong dude, right? And, and, he, and he could do anything. Do you realize that? God uses messed up people to do his work. You guys realize that? If not, look next to you and evaluate. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. I'm just saying, oh, right, don't look next to you. Just, like, get a mirror out. All right? Because if God's using me, I don't even have any hair. Right? God uses, and that's, that's the least of my worries, right? If God's using me, God can use anybody. But if you want to read how God will be able to use anybody, read Samson, the most messed up individual in the Bible that claimed to follow God. There are probably some more messed up individuals, but nobody that claimed to follow God was more messed up than Samson, in my personal opinion. Okay? Samson was 100% completely about himself in every aspect. He blew off his parents for what he wanted to do. He blew off his calling so that he could do what he wanted to do. He blew off purity so he could do what he wanted to do. There is not one aspect where Samson didn't fail. Even his ending act was failure because he died in it. At least he called out to God, but he died in his failure because all he depended on was himself. Here's the thing. It's so much easier to do it ourselves than to count on God. You guys agree with that? Maybe you don't, but I feel like sometimes for me, it's just easier to go ahead and get the job done. Maybe God could do it better. No, I promise you God could do it better. But sometimes I think I can just go ahead and get this done. I'm not going to seek God. I'm just going to do it. It needs to be done. 
And it's really when I get down to it, something I want done. And I don't want to seek God, mainly not because I want it done fast or I want it done now, but because I want it done my way. And that was kind of Samson. He didn't want to wait. wanted to do stuff his way. And his life was a disaster, one right after the other. Now, God used what he meant for himself for good, like he does. But when you read Samson, you see, guys, study Samson. It is, a, it is a study worth doing because you will see that he tears his life apart following his own desires. Okay? Now, flip that a little bit. Let's compare it to another guy named Paul. Okay? If anybody got and understood following Jesus over self, it was Paul. My favorite book in the Bible right now is Philippians. Okay, I am like glued on Philippians. I keep finding myself going back to it. I've probably read it 10 times in the last two or three months. It is so encouraging and it is so positive. And in this, Paul says, this is what it's like to live for Christ over everything, over self. What he says in Philippians, I love, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, he's saying, hey, there's Jesus, if we go back, says there's two great commandments. Love God, love others. And when we get out of our own circle, when we stop looking inward and we stop saying this is what I want, and we start loving and serving God, we start taking care of others. I, tell, I say this all the time to the youth. Could you imagine a world where we were more concerned with everybody else? and we were concerned with our own welfare? If we would look at people and say, hey, they have need, and I have talent in that area, I could, I could take care of that. It might be a little inconvenient, it might be hard, it might cost me something, but that person's in need, and I can fix it. Paul's saying, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Never do anything because you're the only beneficiary. In everything you do, it should pour out in love to God, and it should pour out into other people's lives. It should overflow. Now, there is an awareness of who you are. You're supposed to know who you are. You're supposed to know who you are in God. You're supposed to have an identity of God, in God and be aware of that. But it's when we take that and keep it all for ourselves that the problem starts to create. It's time to start looking outside, Paul says. And, and then he goes on in Philippians and says this. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Guys, I start to to grasp the economy of this and I start to think about this and I start to think, okay, so what you're telling me, Bible, is that God cares enough about me to make sure I'm clothed and I'm fed and he's concerned with me and he knows my needs and he's saying, if you follow me, I will not only cover your needs, I'll I'll cover them abundantly. And then Paul adds to that and says, okay, now it's time to start using that for other people and forget about ourselves and start pressing into Christ more and more and more. And out of that comes something amazing. Okay, I'm starting to understand. I don't always do it, but I'm starting to get it, that I'm supposed to press into Christ and love Christ and not be distracted by my own personal things. And then Satan comes along and says, yeah, but... You're not going to make enough money this year. You don't have time for mission work. You don't really have time for the youth. It's time to hang it up. You've done enough. Hand it off to somebody else. And Satan says, you know, there are other people that come in and do this better than you. You're inadequate. 
Guys, you don't think I hear those voices? You don't think Ted hears those voices of Satan trying to get in our head and tell us, hey, you're not good enough. And if I'm not pressing into Christ, I could buy into that. Because God knows, or God knows where I'm weak and so does Satan. And so, so Satan attacks me where I'm weak. And, and God says, hey, press in, know me. If you know me, then I'll explain you. Don't let Satan lie to you. Don't let Satan blind you. Learn who you are. Find your identity in Christ. Let that pour out into others. Okay? As we, as we move through this, we start to understand we're left with the basics. Jesus is asked, what are the greatest commandments? Do you know what they are? You can shout out if you know one of them. Anybody know what the two greatest commandments are according to Jesus? Anyone. Love the Lord your God is one of them. I'm glad our music pastor knows that one. All right. Makes my heart happy. All right. What's the other one? I heard it, I think. Love others as yourself. In other words, it says, love others with the same intensity that you pursue your own things. With that same intensity that you pursue what's good for you, pursue what's good for other people. We're left with those two things. And, and he says they're the greatest commandments. Think about the Ten Commandments. What are the first couple commandments about? Loving God. Let you off the hook. They're about loving God. Keep the Sabbath. Don't take his name in vain. Right? The last couple are about what? Loving others. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet. Right? He sums it up. He breaks it down into two things. Love God. Love others. And Satan says, if I could mess up these two things, I I mess up the foundation for everything. And so he comes after us and says, we need more. We want more. We're not getting enough. We can't trust God, the very God who made us and created us. We can't trust him to know us the best. We have to take care of it ourselves. Family's way too important, Satan says. Your, Your family's suffering. Your family needs this. Your family's not being taken care of. Your family is being abused by other people. What do you do? And the answer is trust God. The answer is put God first. And it's so hard to do unless, like Paul, we're pressing in. Guys, this is a constant act. Satan gets us off of this a little bit. It, it snowballs and all of a sudden we look up and we haven't talked to God or been with God for a while. And we look around at our life and we wonder why it's in disarray. Are you pressing in? Like Paul says, are you leaving all the successes and all the failures behind and saying, look, I know they're there, but I'm not going to let Satan distract me with that. I'm going to take a step closer to Christ. Hey, I fell down again. That's okay. Get back up and take a step closer to Christ. Are you praying? Are you reading? Are you, are you hungry for what he has for you? See, that's what protects us against the lies. That's what allows us to take the blinders off and see the incredible creation God has for us and how he meant us to interact in it. I love it. I love it. Love it. Okay. These are my favorite verses. I, I just, uh, this is why I wanted to preach on this one because it, I, I, uh, just for me, it's just a good reminder, an amazing reminder of how much my God loves me and how much he cares for me and how much he has my plans already figured out. And they're so much better than my plans. You guys get that, right? As you follow, if, if you don't know Christ, let me just promise you, let me promise you from personal experience, that your plans are nowhere near as good as God's plans. He's somewhat bigger than you. He's somewhat smarter than you. (laughs) 
right? He's got a much bigger paradigm to work from. He has a lot more resources than you do. And he gives them freely. But he has to trust you with what he gives, and he trusts you by you loving him and trusting him. It's a cool relationship. It's kind of fun. All right, so here's what I want to do. I want to watch this video real quick, and I'm going to finish up. can keep wearing these if you want. Okay, you look kind of silly. I'm not going to lie. I do. I know I do. Okay, but here's the thing. That's Satan's lie. Satan says your family's more important. God's important, but not as important as your family. You need to take care of some things in your own life. You're not even capable of helping others until you help you. And those are just such huge lies that puts God out here and not here. If you're going to wear blinders, if you're determined, you think they're a great fashion statement, all right, and you and you want to have these on, then put God here so it's the only thing you can see. And let God tell you what to do on the outside that you can't see. If you got to wear them, make God the only thing you can see. Put God at the center. Make sure, guys, that you are working in your life to put him at the center. I cannot tell you what an exciting life that is. It's, it's not boring. It's not hard. It's not miserable. God made you. He gave you gifts. He gave you things. He gave you family so that you could conquer the world for him. 
when you're serving God and your eyes are on God, what is hard doesn't seem hard because God's got it. Piper, John Piper, one of my one of my favorite theologians, okay, even though, well, I just like John Piper. Okay, we'll just go with that. Um, he says this, and I think it's one of the greatest sayings of all time. You ready? Keep this. If you go nothing else, go with this. You ready? You ready? Here it is. We are most satisfied when God is most glorified. In your life, you will be the most satisfied when you are about glorifying God. In your family's life and in your family situations, that will be the best situation. You'll be most satisfied when God is most glorified. Guys, when you leave today, think about this. What am I doing to glorify God today? Don't think about next week. Don't think about the past week. Don't think about all the things that have gone wrong or all the inadequacies you have or all the things you have to do. Think about this. Today, how am I going to glorify God? Because if that is your purpose in your day, that I will glorify God in everything, I will give it my best effort to glorify God, your stuff will work out. Might not be the way you thought it was, but it will work out. Your family will work out if your focus is to glorify God. Because you will be satisfied with the results, I promise you. God over and over throughout the Bible promises that. So let's pray real quick. Okay, I want, I want to give two opportunities here. Okay, so if everybody will bow their heads and, and let's just pray. Uh, if, you, if you're sitting here and saying, man, my life doesn't sound anything like that. Who is this God and Jesus you speak of that I can trust and see and glorify and put my trust in in such a way that my life is satisfying? We're told that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that right now you're feeling a calling on your life to come to Jesus, that this is that moment for you where you understand that Jesus wants more than anything a relationship with you and wants to love you and wants to care for you and wants to take all this on. It says very simply, believe that he is Lord. Give your life and surrender your control. Make him the center. Take the blinders off, it says. So we just pray. If, if, you're, if you've never received Christ before, Just pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I know that I sin and I know that I have made a mess of my own life. And I know I don't always run it well, but you're telling me that I just have to ask forgiveness and make you Lord and I'm willing to do that. I give my life to you. I give my heart for you. Forgive me for my my sin of running my own world. God, save me. And we're told with that simple prayer, you start a relationship where you can start learning how to trust God. So if that was you, for the first time, and, and you accepted Christ for the first time, would you do me a favor and just look at me real quick so I know? Just kind of look up your head, maybe raise your hand so I can see you, because I'd love to talk to you, or Ted would love to talk to you about that. Okay. Guys, if you're sitting in here and you serve God, but you've gotten off track, either your own needs or, or, or your family has taken your focus away from God and put it on something else, we're told if we just turn around to him and say, God, I'm sorry, put me back in focus with you, that we are aligned right with God and things are good. So as you're praying today, just go to God with those things and say, God, it's time to, to start putting you at the center again. And I'm sorry that I've gotten off. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for me, from my heart, that this message is something I continually hear, that you love me and you care for me and you have my best interests at heart. 
And God, that you saved me, not only for myself, but so that the gospel could be spread to the world and that I have purpose in that. God, help me keep you at the center. Help these ladies and gentlemen out here keep you at the center this week. Have them help you. Have them help them keep you at the center. We thank you for all you are and all you do. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.